Welcome to Managed Care Cast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Maggie Shore, editor for the American Journal of Managed Care. Within Virginia, one of 13 states that fall within the Appalachian region of the United States, the current overall poverty rate is 10.6%, giving the state a 10th place ranking on a list of the top 10 states with the lowest poverty rates. However, the southwest corner of the state, which contains the six counties served by the health wagon, has an even higher average poverty rate of 21.9%. Supported entirely by grants and donations, the health wagon has been providing free health care services for the often medically underserved and indigent individuals who are either underinsured or uninsured in this part of Virginia for more than four decades. Today, we are speaking with the Health Wagon's President and CEO, Dr. Teresa Tyson, and Clinical Director, Dr. Paula Hill Collins, to learn more about the often urgent services they provide, to discover how they innovate care through culturally sensitive services for their rural residents, and to discuss the importance of healthcare equity. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Tyson and Dr. Hill Collins. Can you both introduce yourselves and tell us about the Health Wagon? Yes, the Health Wagon is the oldest mobile free clinic in the nation. I am Dr. Teresa Tyson, and this is Dr. Paula Hill Collins. I'm the executive director uh, and the CEO and president of the Health Wagon, and Paula is our clinical director and vice president. So we have we are here uh, in the Appalachian Mountains in the southwestern portion of Virginia. Uh, and so we serve Virginia and, you know, even the neighboring states of uh, Tennessee and Kentucky and uh, West Virginia. Uh, and we have a very large geographic uh, footprint. Uh, as I said, we're the oldest mobile free clinic in the nation. That being said, we also have four stationary clinics and four mobile units that go out and deliver care in the mountainous regions here in the Appalachian region. And it's that uh, we're a free care. We're essentially a free clinic, you know, on, on wheels and with these stationary clinics, and we provide a lot of services. Last year alone, we had over 32,000 patient encounters, and we provide everything from, you know, primary to preventative care uh, to even uh, emergent care, especially with the, the COVID. We have a very robust uh, COVID response that we have a lot of specialty care, diagnostics. Uh, we even have dental and eye services as well because we know we very much look at the patient's from a holistic standpoint. We were actually started by a Massachusetts Catholic nun, Sister Bernie Keeney, and she is our mentor and hero. And she came here to the mountains over 40 some years ago with, uh, as Paula says, her flaming red hair and started dispensing literally healthcare out of the back of a Volkswagen Beetle. And we have grown so mm-hmm. much since then. As, I can, as I've said, Teresa and I, we grew up here in these mountains and uh, we have a, we're faith-based, but we're also nurse managed. So from the very time that Sister Bernie founded our clinic back in the 1980s, we have stayed nurse managed and under the care of uh, of Teresa, the health wagon has just exploded and we believe it's just the favor of God. We were told you take care of your neighbor. And my mother would always say the only way to be blessed is be a blessing to others and you can't have a stingy heart. So Teresa and I give with all that we have and we have never, even though we both have we do administrative roles now. We have never left our hands on with our patients. We give, we go on television and during the COVID outbreak, Teresa and I gave our phone numbers out and uh, we were, I was getting a phone call like 11 o'clock at night and I'm like, why are people calling me at 11 o'clock at night on Saturday? And 
my husband said, because you went on TV and gave them your cell phone number and said, call you. I'm like, okay, well, that's what I did. Because, and that's okay, because we want them to be able to talk to someone. A lot of times I took a call last night about the same time, and it wasn't a patient of ours, but she was 16 weeks pregnant, and she had had some COVID-type symptoms. And a pregnant woman during this is one of the most at risk, but I just thank God that he's put us in that position that we can reach out to others. But we're very proud of the fact that we were raised in these mountains. We have stayed and um, we're proud of the fact that we're nurse managed. We're probably one of the only nurse managed clinics that I know of in the whole nation, the only mobile, the oldest mobile clinic in the whole nation. And it all began with a nurse, Sister Bernie Kenny. And we hope we will always continue that with our nurse management. We have been active in telehealth before it was popular because we had to be. Um, our patients have very limited resources and it's not just that they don't have insurance. They don't have transportation. They don't have gas money. And even with insurance, if you're lucky enough to have insurance, the nearest uh, endocrinologist is an hour and a half away. That's with insurance. And by opening up telehealth all those years ago, we were able to bring psychiatric services, telehealth services from the University of Virginia. We also have numerous partners that uh, we've partnered with over the years. I think we're up to almost 60 different colleges and universities because we love students. And we're very thankful for Sister Bernie who came here. Uh, and I think it was by the direction of God that the Bishop Sullivan actually came. And when he came here and toured the Appalachians, there was so much poverty here. She was stationed in Tanzania, Africa. He called her back to serve here in the Appalachian Mountains. So we were, we're still very dire circumstances. We've always had booms and busts with the coal industry here, but we've had more busts than we have booms. How do the health priorities of your clients both reflect those of the population at large and stand in contrast to them? So I guess what we see is our population here is extremely vulnerable population. It is probably the most vulnerable population in, in the United States, even in Virginia. Virginia is a very wealthy state, but you juxtapose the very wealthy because they have the wealthiest counties in the nation, and you juxtapose that some of the poorest in the nation, and it's just like we live in a in a separate world, we always say that, that you know, Virginia stops at Roanoke for us because we're so disconnected from, you know, really the rest of the state. And long comes with that is significant health care disparities. Our people here uh, in the mountains, they live 20 years less than our counterparts on the eastern shore of Virginia. And that is due to lack of health uh, care access, a, a lack of specialists, a lack of just health care providers in general. And so the health here is very poor. We see higher rates of uh, you know, depression, mental illness, coronary artery disease, hypertension, COPD, you know, breathing issues is across the board. All our rates are just, you know, so high. Rates of suicide are extremely high. Uh, and we think it's because of, I mean, the trauma that a lot of people go through just leaving, you know, just leaving here uh, in the conditions that these people had to face. And um, my father is a coal miner. Uh, and the success of this nation has been bore on the backs of these coal miners. But for us, it's like these people have just people have just turned their backs on the region. And, uh, you, you know, and it's just terrible that, you know, the success was built here. And then, you know, then, you know, the rest of Virginia, they turn a blind eye to what is going on here. We actually uh, gained notoriety for what we were doing. It was, it was remote area medical uh, we partnered with Stan Brock out of Knoxville to do the largest medical outreach in the United States. And we did that for 20 years. We set records because at that time, in large, he was going out of the country to do free uh, eye vision, uh, dental care, medical care. He was going out of the country to deliver that until 
uh, I actually asked him, I and Sister Brandy asked him to come here and, and do a program for us. And it was like a three-day weekend. And once we had it, it was the largest that he had ever done. And it's something that you would see if you could just envision. I know this is radio. Uh, it's something like out of the third world country. People would come and they would line up sometimes a week in advance for health care. We have gotten all kinds of international attention because People, you know, especially the international reporters, they cannot believe that that happens in the United States, that people have to, we would have at a three-day event with the free uh, eye, dental, and medical care. We would have it at a fairgrounds. The week, you know, like two weeks prior to that, we're cleaning out stalls where they had the, the county fair and had the, you know, old McDonald's farm with the farm, and we're cleaning that out to deliver medical care. And now that being said, we do sanitize it very well. But, I mean, you would not believe that things like that are occurring here in the United States. And people just have really turned a blind eye to, you know, the significant health care disparities that exist in certain populations here in the United States. And this is a very vulnerable population. And it occurs here that people do not have uh, access to basic health care needs. And so that's what Paula and I are about. We try to be a voice uh, that God has given us to be a voice for our people. You know, we, we're from here. We return to this region to take care of our our people with such great passion, as you can hear in our voice, because the people here are the most wonderful people on the face of this earth. These are the best people in the world, but they've been taken advantage of. And first of all, that was at the turn of the century when, you know, the cold barons, they came mm -hmm. in and, and so they, they want, they, you know, they went with the news media and they painted these negative stereotypes of, of you know, poor, stupid, hillbilly, you know, uneducated. And, you know, people are still taking uh, advantage of the population here. Very, most recently. Mm -hmm. You know, with uh, in, in, you know, with the with the drug, you know, the the pharmaceutical companies that were introducing, uh, you know, pain uh, pain medicines. You're here in Norton, account uh, one of the towns that that we serve, our city. It's grandfathered in one of the cities here had the per capita pill from provider in in you know in the nation. They held that that spot where the where that much uh, opioids was coming from the you know the providers like in the in the you know in the region. And, you know, they were targeted by the drug companies because they knew the high disability rates because we have probably, I think, top six out of 10 disability rates in the nation right here in our immediate area. And so, again, they were targeted and, again, taken advantage of. And so that left a, a population, you know, that was, you know, a lot of decimation with the opioid overdoses and things like that. And, you know, and then it gets, then you perpetuate those negative stereotypes on that. Oh, you know, they're pill heads and things like that. No, these people have been taken advantage of for far too long. Yes, and you've got physicians that at that point, and it was pharmaceuticals coming in, push it, push it, push it. Oxycontin's the best thing ever. Well, you would have them out the door. You could see, I mean, you know, they were making a fortune off the backs of these people and off of these people. They didn't care there was an addiction. They didn't care there was an overdose. Uh, it was just, and that's, I will really always say that, thankfully, due to regulations being increased, we don't see that a lot now. Uh, and I'm thankful for that. I'm very thankful for that. As a social determinant of health, living at or below the poverty level places persons at greater risk of several adverse health outcomes, including mental illness, chronic disease, higher mortality, lower overall life expectancy, food insecurity, and substance abuse all issues that can be exacerbated by living in a rural location, either because of lack of access to healthcare providers or needing to travel exceedingly long distances for even the most basic of care. In this context, is equity in healthcare a unicorn? Yes, it is. I mean, I don't think that we will have a solution to our healthcare in my lifetime. 
uh, Medicaid expansion in Virginia helped some, but yes, it's a fantasy. It's like the big unicorn. If you can look, we still, we're out there doing all that we can do, but we need on people to look outside of the box and see, we need more telehealth down here because we are an underserved area of basic healthcare professionals. Uh, Teresa and I lobbied to, uh, actually we didn't, we lobbied, we talked to legislators to help get the autonomous practice in Virginia. And it's because we don't have enough people down here. Is it a unicorn? Yeah, I think it does because until all of the politics of everything, I can't believe even a tragedy like the pandemic that we've been in has been politicized. You know, I am thankful that, uh, you know, our, pre our previous president actually put into place, you know, for patients to be able to receive vaccination, receive care, because that's one thing that we have, our patients will not go to the ER because if we owe $2, most of the people here are gonna to try to pay it. So, you know, the, the answer used to be, well, if they're sick, go to the ER. That's not an answer. So, you know, and with the health wagon, that's what we've always been about is, you know, removing the barriers. You take, for example, like a, you know, like a diabetic. So it's not that the patients don't want to take care of themselves. They very much, they very much do, but you've got to give them the resources to take care of themselves. So like a diabetic, as Paula was saying, you know, they, they may come in with, uh, you know, really high blood sugar averages of five and six, you know, mm -hmm. and even off, off of that. And then we can get them, we can get them into normal range within, you know, just a little bit of tweaking. But what we do is we remove the barrier. So we've got, you know, we've got endocrinologists that work with us. So those, those patients that may need a specialty care, we give that to them. We get their important. we get them the medications that we need. We get them the glucometer. We get them the education that they would need. We get them in with a certified diabetes educator. You know, we remove those barriers and, you know, and they can come to us, you know, uh, you know, for, for, for care, you know, like in the, in, in the meantime, and we have excellent results. And that's just one example of diabetics. You know, we can get those uh, diabetics into optimal range with just the resources by giving people resources. So we're all about adding resources here. We're the largest telehealth provider in the, in the state of Virginia. If we see a resource, we plug it into the clinic here. You know, we get the diabetic, the eye exam, we get them the dental care and, you know, other people as well, but it's all about removing those barriers you know, and that way you can get to, you know, turning around those dire, you know, health of living 20 years less than our counterparts. We get people ultrasounds. We have ultrasounds. We have uh, x-ray, you know, Dr. Smitty, he works along with us. He's a pulmonologist and we, we attract like specialists in here. We attract, you know, colleges, universities that will come in and stand alongside with and help with like special project, projects and so forth like that. It's all about removing the barriers, getting people the diagnostic care, you know, that they need as but well. But without us, yes, healthcare, it's a fantasy. If we did, we're not here doing this, do I think healthcare, how can it be equal when you can go down the corner if you live in the city and see a doctor? You can you can, you can call up a, a billboard because they've got something on there. We'll see you over telehealth. Our patients don't have that. So yes, I think it is, it's going to take a lot of changes for us to break through and either let us see that big unicorn, beautiful unicorn that we've all been chasing after, like chasing butterflies around the room and not being able to catch them. Unless, I mean, if anything else, take this nationwide with what we're doing. Following the 2019 expansion of Medicaid coverage in Virginia and considering the extended open enrollment period from last year, coverage of premiums for individuals with incomes between 100 and 150% of 
the federal poverty level and expanding subsidy qualifications to those with incomes over 400% of the federal poverty level, what changes did you see among the populations you serve? Well, that I mean, we, we're so we are so uh, you know grateful uh, you know for the for the Medicaid expansion, and actually, you know that was that was a little bit political in nation, you know. In uh, but you know we had a delegate Terry Kilgore, he actually went against like the party and voted and was the vote that carried for Medicaid expansion, because the people here stood to benefit that that to most. And we're so we've actually uh, since then we have a Medicaid uh, enrollment worker here um, as as well, and so they go you know their daily base trying to enroll people, and we're actually leading the state you know in the enrollment our, our worker does that's very important to us. I mean even if we had a perfect payer implemented today, then you know we don't have enough healthcare providers here. But we are very grateful for Medicaid expansion because that gave a lot of ability for us to get people into, you know, very much needed diagnostic services that maybe the health wagon could not afford, uh, you know, that could not, uh, you know, give to the patients such as uh, CTs and MRIs and things, things like that, that these patients had long, you know, had been needed for so long. And unfortunately, a lot of people died needing advanced diagnostic services, you know, uh, for that. Uh, but, and you never get used to that as a healthcare provider living here and not being able to provide you know, the resource that we do, because we do have to, you know, kind of a piecemeal approach to these individual, uh, you know, care. And you have to look at it from an economic perspective. Our workers, we do have a higher disability rate. Some of these people went to work when they were 18 years old in the coal mines in not the best conditions. But at the same instances, if they don't have health insurance, how are they going to get treatment? And if you do not have a strong, healthy workforce, it affects your economy. So if they would just look at it from an economical standpoint that keep people healthy and they'll keep working and they won't be disabled at 40 and 50, give them basic health uh, insurance. So they'll get their blood pressure checked and they will see if they're running a 200 over 100 before they end up having a stroke or lose their vision, lose their kidneys because it affects every organ in your body. And that is the thing. Prevention is so important. We have these health fairs where we do mass screenings. That is what we have to look at. If you're going to look at the disadvantages down here and in rural areas, we don't have as many jobs. That's true. We need to bring more down here. We need to look outside the box, like the drone delivery medicine that we did in 2015. But we have to keep our workforce healthy. And you do that by making sure they have access to health care. And going on with Medicaid, what was mm -hmm. so important, you know, our Senator Todd Pillion, he led the charge in getting, you know, uh, Medicaid uh, increased rates for like Medicaid with the dental and so forth, because that's really important because you have to look at the, per, you know, the person, uh, holistic, you know, it actually came to our massive outreach, for, you know, for, uh, you know, that we had for over 20 years where we provided the dental care. And so a lot of this does go back, you know, to the politics and getting things changed, you know, at the state level. So we're, you know, we're very thankful uh, for that and his push on that, you know, as, as well, because it does, you know, it does go back, you know, a lot of this goes back to Richmond that we're able to get the best of care for these individuals here. But it seems like it's always an, you know, uphill battle and a, and a struggle to get the care here that, that we need for these individuals that they desperately need it. Because these, like I said, these are the best people in the world. There's no better people in the world. I mean, they're, you know, all about God and family and, and you know, and, um, and community. And they're beautiful, beautiful people here that have just for so long, you know, been, uh, you know, taken advantage of or down on their luck due to, you know, circumstances that were totally beyond their control. We are now entering our third year of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
how have you been able to innovate your services to adjust to the constantly changing public health and social distancing guidelines? And has how we are able to provide quality health care been forever changed? Um, for forever, forever changed. Like we were talking about, you know, we have seen some positives came, you know, that has came out of it, you know, tele, telehealth and, you know, being mobile has risen to the forefront. And like I said, we were, you know, we've been doing that as, you know, for, you know, essentially 40 some, 40 some years. But I am most proud if, if you know, during, I, I guess call, God called us for this purpose. But I feel that the health wagon here, like I said, over 32,000 patient encounters last year, I feel that we, our clinic here has saved this region from being decimated and our staff have worked day and night really to make this happen. We have provided, uh, provided vaccinations. We have provided testing. The amount of testing we have done is like over 20,000 tests we have given. I mean, it's just incredible numbers. We have given out over 40,000 uh, masks as a mitigation strategy. We have one of the first post-COVID clinics in the nation, as we were seeing early on, that people were, you know, they were recovering from COVID and then they would become, as, you know, as, you know, as sick, you know, after that. Uh, and, you know, we have always maintained, you know, treatment at the forefront of this, even when there wasn't really a treatment for this. Then we went with nutritional therapies, you know, we went with vitamin regimens, you know, and, and so forth. And then that advanced into uh, monoclonal antibody infusions. And I'm so thankful for um, the Virginia Department of, of Health, particularly Dr. Rossheim, who's seen the need here, as Paula was talking about, as begging for vaccine, vaccines here. He heard that play. And then uh, after they were able to help us get vaccines here, but, you know, as the treatment came with the monoclonal antibodies, we have infused over 5,000 people with monoclonal antibody infusions, and it essentially takes people from, from, from death to life. I mean, it's phenomenal, the, the, this treatment that God has, you know, given us, and we're also using also the oral therapeutics. And so I think what has stood in the gap between this population being decimated is absolutely the health wagon, and, and I'm not being braggadocious or anything like that. I mean, it's simply the fact, I mean, our staff here are phenomenal. We're, we're, we're small in number, but we're, we're, we're mighty, but we're continuing to try to turn those numbers, uh, you know, turn those numbers around. You know, we were very blessed with being on 60, 60 minutes, and that gave us a little bit of a re reserve of money to go and, you know, continue doing efforts and things like that. But we, we depleted a lot of that, like, during COVID, and we gladly depleted it to buy, you know, supplies and, you know, and testing and, you know, and, and different things that, that we needed and pay staff over time. We've had some staff that worked three weeks without a day off, you know, given like monoclonal antibodies and so forth like that, because the need was so great in the community, but then happened to, uh, the hardest part of this job is not taking care of the vulnerable population. It's always been the fund. And so we're, you know, we're always trying to lobby the state of Virginia, you know, try to return us some of the money that we have, have, have spent. But like I said, you know, uh, it really stops at Roanoke. So that kind of, you know, uh, unfortunately falls on, you know, deaf ears uh, a, a lot of the time. Before we say goodbye, are there any closing thoughts you would like to add? What would you like people to know about the health wagon? We carry forth, I think, the most positive thing from our culture, and that is being resourceful because, you know, the people had to be resourceful. Paul and I have to be resourceful as providers, you know, to, to do that care. We have a lot of firsts under our belts. We are, you know, we we did the uh, largest medical outreach for 20 years here in the United States, providing free 
I did on medical care. Paul and I learned to do uh, cystoscopy, which is a light into the bladder. We're the first in the world that are doing that over telehealth because we know that the bladder, uh, the cancer, bladder cancer rates here were low, but the, the, they had we have high rates of smoking, so we knew that those don't correlate. So we just knew that people were not getting the test. We did the first wound care clinic in the nation. We have, you know, the largest telehealth, you, you know, here in the nation. We, you know, during COVID, I mean, it's phenomenal. We, we are the only people that I know that are doing mobile antibody uh, infusions. You have uh, to think well. outside the box and we do live on a prayer. That's what we're doing. And God just keeps providing, you know, there's a, Teresa mentioned something in Esther, uh, you know, what if you've been uh, born for such a moment as this? And as women, sometimes we don't. And we would tell women, I mean, you know, guys too, be a voice, care. You know, if you just sit, if Teresa and I just sit here and complain to you, to national television, nothing would get done. We'd just be complaining. You'd be a voice. You'd be an advocate for those people that can't speak for themselves. I'm honored that you chose to speak with us today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. For all of us at AJMC.com, thanks for listening. To learn more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.